And we're live. Hey, Jeffrey. Do you hey, Cal. Our, do you have our music ready for us? Yeah. Yeah, do you? This is going to be the week, folks. This is the week. So Jeffrey and I had a little chat about how we were going to mix things up a little bit, you know. So welcome back to yet again another week seven of how we ended up this way. And who do we have with us this evening? We have Miss Kristen. We have our new friend, Ms. Texas, which we will get to and explain in a second. Uh, Mr. Brian, Mr. Dana, and Mr. Jeffrey. So... What has gone terribly wrong so far in the last hour is everything technical, right? So my laptop decided not to cooperate. I have 70, 47 books stacked on top of each other trying to do the iPad thing. <laughs> and this was the week that Jeffrey was going to hand over the reins to me oh. for a little bit. It was It's so bad that we just scared our guest away. <laughs> <laughs> How are and we the dog won't stop barking. So... Hopefully not for good, right? I'm, I, I think this Monday is a bit cursed. It could be. It is so far. It's really, like every, Monday. Everything I've tried to plan for today has gone completely you out the door. You and me both. Right? Me too. It's been a long day. Long day. I I'm thinking about shaving today. my head. Shut up. Did you just say you're thinking about shaving your nads? Oh, everybody's awake. We're, we're all awake. <laughs> no, we are. You, you are not shaving your head, Brian. I won't have uh, it. You said head. I Tara, welcome that's back. That's what you said, though. Hi, Tara. <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> but I want to thank you for proving my point right out of the gate about how this Monday evening has just gone all the way around, all the way around. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. What the yes. guys don't realize is they're in a lot of trouble because all of the women are redheads. And on top. Uh-oh. Why? It's a lot of fire coming your way. <laughs> Boys on the bottom. The lot. The lot. Mm-hmm. I'm Natural right. redhead the bottom. at that. Me too. <laughs> it's a bunch of pot. So, first of all, I'd like to thank Tara for joining us this evening. How much do you know or how much did Jeffrey fill you in about what this show is all about. He just said, we just get together live. We talk about how we got there and then you're there is, is could be anywhere. So I'm like, I'm all about a, a back and forth uh, conversation about life in general, because I live my life out loud. So I figured this would be a fun place for me to display it. So not a lot. Excellent. Excellent. Well, so yeah, so it's a bunch of friends who talk about how we ended up this way and I am very new to TikTok, thanks to Jeffrey. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the TikTok platform and how you fit into that and what it means in your life? Absolutely. So my particular platform started out as just kind of a joke. Um, So with a coworker who's, bless her heart, in her 20s. And she said, Tara, you're hilarious and you have so many stories. You should post them. So I kind of looked at some things and posted stuff about Texas because I love Texas. Um, And then it was like, oh, I can't really post stuff about my mom because she's insane. So what I do know is about bariatric weight loss surgery, (laughs) bariatric weight loss surgery, um, losing the weight, becoming an alcoholic, getting sober, re-losing the weight. And so I have this roller coaster of crazy and it just, it turns out to be so completely relatable to there's 385,000 patients who have surgery every single year. And so our bariatric community are living our, our recovery out loud, if you will. And then I'm very brutally honest about all of those taboo things. There she goes again. We lost her again. It's not us folks. I swear. Taboo things. So Jaina was asking, you know, if there's a book this week. That's the same as fired. We're people instead, okay? No, she's saying there's a book. Oh, there's a book, yeah. See? Being a smart oh, there's a book? 
I love that Tara was like taboo things and poof. I know. Taboo things. And, and Satan was like, Satan was like, um, uh, you're not allowed to talk about taboo things. Anyway, so I talk about um, alcoholism recovery and shopping addictions, and I have an addiction to Starbucks. And so that's somewhat relatable. So I do coffee time with Tara every single morning. My cup at Starbucks is Miss Texas. And it just kind of went from there. And that's how I'm Miss Texas. So I, I have to, my first video that I saw of Tara was her in her car. And I love, you had the, I think the red fine grass glasses, right? And you had, you, you were perturbed over this, this, Psychiatrist, I don't. Mm -hmm. She's psychiatrist or just a, a therapist? She's just. Uh, she's just. Worker? Bless her heart. Diminish her job or lack thereof, but she's a therapist, not a psychologist. Bless her, yeah. pee picking. And she she was pro fat and she was against. She called she called it stomach amputation. Stomach amputation. She called. Okay, so do we know anything about bariatrics? Anybody? No, going to be my first question if you could kind of walk us through some of the what the surgery yeah, actually is and what the myths are and the yes. misunderstandings because so, i'm thinking you get a lot of those um i get a gamut of them oh, oh shit this is because i drank too much tequila i know it it's because she's in that 119 year old house and the ghosts are here it's ghost wi-fi it might be texas or it's Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah. And her mom keeps turning off the Wi-Fi. This is how we ended up this way. This is this how is we ended, ended up this way. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Is it, the ghost? is it the ghost house or I, is your mom touching the Wi-Fi? Are you She's, on your Wi-Fi or your cell phone or your my, phone? Down? My Wi-Fi because that's all I have. Because Okay, let's try this again. There is bariatric gastric bypass surgery. That's what I had. So essentially they take the very top 60 cc's of your stomach, right? So the size of a large egg, and they attach that to your lower intestines. So when foods come in, you feel very full very quickly, and then it hits your stomach acids in your lower intestines. Okay. So you can only eat very petite amount of foods. So you need to eat proteins, then healthy carbs like your vegetables, and then you can, et cetera. So then there's what is called VSG or vertical sleeve gastronomy. And that's where they go in and literally cut out 85% of your stomach. So if you look at a stomach, it's kind of shaped like a pregnant woman. They cut off the pregnant woman part. And so just make it a long sleeve. So your digestion is not in whatever, but you also can only eat very tiny amounts of food, right? because most people have what I consider the disease of more. If there's more food, we want it. So there is a lot of stigma that you're gonna lose your hair, you're gonna be on vitamins for your life, you're gonna be malabsorption. And there are a lot of fat positive therapists and, and body positivity uh, platforms out there, which I support. Um, I, I, I don't care, it, anyway. Um, but they are like, you should not have this surgery because it is a, uh, it is a medically prescribed eating disorder, which is very offensive. And then there's something like this fat positive therapist who said um, it is a stomach, they called my RNY gastric bypass a stomach amputation. Well, go, go get a dictionary, bitch. Like, stop. <laughs> so with RNY, RNY, you're just rerouting. You're not removing anything with a vertical sleeve you're removing. But she essentially, she said that she's so against this surgery that if someone came into her office, she would not give them a medical release for them to have the surgery because she has a moral dilemma against the surgery. And I put myself in that patient's, you know, at your wit's end, I need to go in and lose 180 pounds. And you're telling me because you don't believe in bariatric weight loss surgery, you're now not allowing me to have my surgery. And that just, as someone in recovery, that just really, because you're using your medical knowledge in the most inaccurate, you know, misinformation, all the keywords that we're using now. And it, it just lit my little red head of fire. And uh, I think from what I understand, she's People have reported her and uh, to like the medical board in her in her state, and it's it's not good. But bless her, P. Picking, wow. she, she picked the wrong community to come after. But so um, with bariatric weight loss surgery, yes. you just need to get ninety to one hundred and ten grams of protein. Your 
you're needing about 100 ounces of water, you move about 10,000 steps a day. When you have the disease of more, and I know I'm talking a lot, we're obsessed with food, right? So we wake up thinking, what are we going to eat for breakfast? What are we going to eat for lunch? And then you have obsessive compulsive disorder where you sit there and you go, ooh, what am I going to get from the vending machine? Okay, I want Reese's peanut butter cups and I want Doritos today. Then you go to Chick-fil-A for lunch and then you're like, ooh, what am I going to going to get from the vending machine this evening, but I want the opposite of what I had this morning. So instead of Reese's peanut butter cups, I'm going to go more. I have a problem eating lots of food. I'll talk about that right now while she's coming back. (laughs) See, and I have found that since I have gotten a clearer, a healthier relationship with food, a healthier relation, a clearer mind as of late with more control over my anxiety and my depression mm-hmm. that I don't crave food as much. Like I don't have oh, yeah. cravings as yeah. much. When you're in a healthy mindset, you're not trying to eat away your feelings. Yeah. I, I truly feel like I, I am having this relationship with food that it's like fueling my body. Like I'm making healthy foods. I'm making healthy dinners because it's a way for me to, and it's for me, I know it's a control issue. It's something that I can control. So it's something that I can, you know, clear my mind with. And it's, yeah. helped, it's helped me lose 30 pounds in the last, you know, month and a half, mm-hmm. which is which is good for me. And it's and it's taken me from a very low place that I was last year where you all know if I if Craig was not here, I would not necessarily be here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's allowed me this relationship that I don't think in my 45 years I've ever had with food ever had with food that I have now it's such a hard thing with food because it's not like alcohol it's not like drugs we have to have it so Mm -hmm. it's not anything that we can ever give up you can't eliminate it right yeah so it's a constant struggle so unless you clear your house out of all the garbage and bring in all the things that are healthy for you and positive which, I mean, like we've talked about before, Kelly and I have been, done the raw detoxing. And I think, Tara, you and I talked about it a little bit the other day when we were chatting. Uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Kelly and I did it. But at the time, I was doing daycare and Kelly's daughter was in daycare. We had dinner every night. But the only reason we could do it was because I was watching her kid all day and I got to prep the food all day long. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the only we, reason. We had a plan. We had a plan. That's a yeah. big problem I have too. It's like you, you have situations, like you're talking about a situation where uh, you're, that particular scenario worked to your benefit, where you had to make that kind of food. Where I think I have the opposite. Like everybody else wants and can control their eating with the stuff that we have in the house. Where if I live by myself, I could go to the store and buy just the things that I need to eat healthily, like without a problem. Mm-hmm. And then when it's in the house, I don't. I can't go and get that stuff. But when you share a house with other people that yeah. you can't inhibit what they eat because they can control it like a normal person. Like, mm-hmm. So then you've got that whole like pantry of horror where you're like, maybe I'll just go have some chips. Like, cause they're I'll, just, I'll just have one peep. I'm not going to eat the entire box. Yeah, and then that peep tasted so good. So let me just have yep. one more. Mm-hmm. And then that turns yeah. into six Cadbury eggs and then you feel like a piece of shit. Yeah, I don't understand the people that like they look at cookies and they're like, "Oh, I'm full," and I'm like, "Bitch, I don't need. It don't matter if I'm full. I'm gonna have the seven cookies." That's me. See, and that's yeah. the way, and that's the way I used to be, but now I have found that since I've, and again, I think it's just for me, it's a control issue, and I am sure some, some therapist somewhere could tell me I'm. It's another form of ED, but like, like, do I you have, think that you're? Uh, do you think that your uh, career like could contribute to it? Because you were a flight attendant for a long time, so like if you're like on the road all the time, it's I, hard to like, as a flight att- I, w- I was constantly standing and eating at the same time. We got food wherever we were running yeah. past, and it was like exactly, if we had an, yeah. if we had an eight hour overnight, and we had a, and it was we were able to get some food. We were lucky if we got food, mm. but like. Like I have jingle jangle mix from Trader Joe's in my house right now. I'll like measure out a portion, and that's like what I'll eat if I want something chocolatey, or you know, I want something that's not good for you, you know, what have you. Hmm. And I think it's like for me, it's a it's a process of balance. But I Mm -hmm. also understand this disease of more because I I 
had it so incredibly bad last year. Like I had this, you know, this silly game that we played on the we played on the phone, and I was buying coins. And Craig is like, "What are you doing, spending this money?" And I'm like, "It's numbing my brain." Oh, is it the gambling one. Yeah, and it was like it's just like a slot game. And yeah, yeah, like, where you're not winning anything, but you're, you're not winning anything. Right, right. You're oh, buying I was these doing coins. The same thing. I spent like five hundred. And it just like it, but it, and I said to Craig, "I'm like, I don't, I cannot explain it to you except that it numbs yeah. my brain." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't have to think about anything. I, I don't mean to interject, but no, this is fine. a lot of things that I had to uh, deal with in therapy because my brain doesn't shut off, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm consistently counting the edges of things. I'm consistently thinking about my next meal. I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about what I can control going back to your, your situation. And so when I would obsessively eat, I didn't have to think about all the other shit in my life. I didn't have to worry about the husband who Mm -hmm. played too much video games. I didn't have to worry about the adoption of my daughters and who had, you know, obsessive defiance disorder and ADHD and and mistransfer, you know, all of this stuff. And so if I could, and then when I realized I couldn't use food to calm those, what I call my God-shaped hole, then I found alcohol and alcohol soothed that I then had no more social barriers, right? I could be the best me. And then going to what you're saying is then my brain calmed down. And at night, if I drank so much alcohol, I could finally go to sleep because my brain finally chilled because we're consistently going and doing and thinking and being and controlling. We're control freaks at the end of the day. Then you yeah. just need, then you get like a night of trash sleep where you woke up where you like feel like you were in the dryer all night. And then you just feel like garbage until you get more booze. <laughs> so, so unfortunately, I never had any derogatory with my alcoholism. And with my alcoholism, I was drinking at the end of my drinking days. Um, I had a timer set for every 15 minutes to drink a triple shot of vodka. I was drinking a handle and a half of vodka a day. And uh, because I never let myself get to the point to feel like trash because I stayed drunk, stayed drunk. It was awful. Mm. Don't do that. That was a horrible decision. Don't do that. (laughs) I need to find out more about staying drunk. (laughs) When did that that creep in, Tara? Was that like, was that a, was that a situation before the surgery or did it happen after? So I'm, I was a great question. So um, I was raised in a very conservative Christian household. So booze was not ever available. It was just something we weren't ever around. My father left in 1984. I knew that my father had a drinking problem, but I only saw him one time a year. So it wasn't a thing in my life. Um, and so I drank when I was 18. And I went to Galveston, Texas, and I had 16 wine coolers to blackout drunk. And that freaked me out. So I didn't drink again until I was 21. And at that point, my friend came home from college. She said she had 11 shots of tequila. And I'm like, I can do 12. Well, I ended up doing 13 to blackout drunk. Then I didn't drink again because that scared me. And so when I was 25, I had a wreck. I went out with friends. My my bar bill was $180. I peed in the front yard like a dog. I made up with a check, a chick. Spoiler alert, I'm not a lesbian. And it was like, what in the crap am I doing? So I was petrified to drink again because this time I didn't blackout drink. So I had my surgery in November of 2008 and I lost 80 pounds and I became beautiful. And I was newly married and I was conversating with friends and we went to a bowling alley and this guy bought this girl a Jaeger bomb and she goes, ew, I don't want to drink that. And I said... My father had just passed away literally a month earlier in a drunk driving accident. And I was like, um, party foul. I'm going to drink that in remembrance of my father. And I took that shot. And that one shot, because of my bariatric surgery and my malabsorption, that one shot made me as drunk as the 16 wine coolers when I was 18. And from that moment on, that what I call that green light, I was chasing that euphoric feeling and I had never even walked into an alcohol store in my life at this point. I'm 32 years old and I uh, bought Jaeger the next day. By the end of the week, I was going in every single day. Within two weeks, I was drinking. I would go home at lunch and drink Jaeger. Then my coworkers told me at the end of two months, we can smell. Oh, 
Oh, they could smell the Jaeger on their breath. Yeah. 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 And Jaeger's a hard one, man. You got to be tough with the Jaeger. You just got to eat licorice at work, and then they're like, oh, it's licorice. Black licorice. Yeah, it's horrible. Oh, my God. Black licorice is the best. No, it's the poison. Black licorice is yummy. It was cleansing and it made my, so, so because my, I've had that malabsorption, that warm feeling in my belly felt really good. And then if I'm, I'm drinking all that, I don't need to eat. Right. And so it just, it became, um, it, it became a habit and then it was, you know, so much vodka. And then my husband and I adopted children and there were behavior issues and all of my, what I wrapped up into, you know, what society tells me to be a wife, to be a mother was literally crumbling in my hands and I did not know how to handle it. And I just between, so 2009 was my first drink by 2012. I was literally drinking to wake up, to get in the shower by 2014. I lost both the children I had just adopted. My husband found video of me giving a blow job to somebody um, that was not him. Uh, and so we got a divorce. I lost custody of the children and, just went down from, and then I got sober in 2016. I moved to Florida and then, um, 2016, um, I had gotten back up to 202 pounds from 139. I'd got that. That was my smallest. And I was back up to 202. I was a daily drinker. And, um, I just, I, I literally fell to my knees and I said, Lord, Tara cannot get sober, but I need to get sober. And so, um, that was November 18th, November 21st. I went into rehab. I walked into rehab. My last drink was 11:47 a.m. with a triple shot of vodka, and I blew a .333 on my way into rehab. And I've never looked back. Have not wow. even had the desire to drink. Well, congratulations on your support. Thank you. That's Thank awesome. you. I mean, I support anyone else drinking. I. This is what I tell people. I'm allergic. I break break out in handcuffs. I've been arrested twice. One, they, I they, break out in handcuffs. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So the first time I got, the first time I got arrested for drunk driving was in Wichita, Kansas. My daughter was caught having sex um, in the the gym uh, with a boy, and um, I had already run over a curb in my Chevrolet Volt, and so it was in the the uh, shop, and so I was driving a. Um, fancy Audi SUV. And when they called me at nine 30 in the morning, I was already drunk. And so I left to go pick her up from school. At some point I hit a fire hydrant, drove an additional three miles. The fire hydrant broke the fuel line underneath the rental vehicle. And my car actually rolled to a stop. I took out the keys and I went and I laid down in a field. And I remember looking up at the lights and I said, either God's going to get me or the police. And I woke up to the police and my husband's uh, chief, because he was in the Air Force, and the, the police chief there in Wichita, and the um, security there at Coke Industries, not Coca-Cola, but KOCH, the horrible company. Anyway, and so they booked me, but they didn't like book me, book me, because my husband was military, so they let me out. And then my second time that I got drunk, I was in Florida at this point. I went drinking with the guy I was living with, and... Uh, we left the bar and my dad was a race car driver. And uh, so I pulled out in the right hand lane and this fucker was going slow. And I had a, you know, an eight cylinder mini Cooper and I'm like, fuck him on a one a, you know, shout out to, you know, anyway. So I passed him on the left, sped forward, cut in front of him. Well, it was a cop. So he pulled me over and I passed. Oh shit. I, I passed. He was also a race car driver. Yeah. He did. And I'm like, look, and so I got pulled over and I was wearing a, a, a Texas Longhorn baseball cap, Texas Longhorn t-shirt, boots and jeans. And this is important later. And, um, so we're sitting there and I have a, uh, the top is up on my convertible and, uh, they're giving me like, I'm, speaking coherently. I'm not slurring my words. He puts the light in my eyes, whatever. I'm passing everything. But then he tells me that he wants me to walk this line and I want to go take off my baseball cap and I want to go toss it on the top of my car and it didn't make it. And I'm like, arrest me. And he goes, I'm sorry, what? And I said, if I can't make a three foot baseball cap on top of that car, I'm too drunk to drive. And he goes, 
Okay, well, can I go ahead and give you a breathalyzer? Well, I'm a good girl from East Texas, darling. I ain't never been traveling my whole life. My mother would be just ashamed. So, of course, she would give me a breathalyzer, not tell a man no. And so uh, I blew a .333. So they actually made me sit in the car for two hours, drove me around for an hour, put me in the drunk tank for two additional hours just to get me below where they didn't have to take me to ER because I was like I should have been dead. And um, I was in there for 39 hours. And when I went and met with the judge the next morning, they were going to release me on my own recognizance. First of all, I'm a little girl from East Texans. I don't know what that kind of word means. That's like a big word. That's in the dictionary. And so I'm like, well, own recognizance. Yes, but you have to have a, a monitor on your ankle, right? Sounds important. Am I fixing it? cat out again. Anyway, so it was not a like a house arrest monitor. It was an actual alcohol monitor <sighs> that tests your blood alcohol because it's touching your skin. And you have to go in and have it uploaded three times a week with the county. But literally for me to leave that jail, I had to have that put on. But it was a holiday weekend and they wouldn't let me. So I had to leave the jail when they finally came to put it on. I couldn't pull down my, my boot jeans. I couldn't pull up my boots. So I'm walking around barefoot outside the jail. It was atrocious. Um, they impounded my car. I had just gotten a job. It was horrible. Um, but I survived, man. I was like, I'm not going back to my family. In fact, my family did not know for nearly three years that I even had a DUI. It was, wow. it was bad because, you know, in this, in the South, you just, you keep those kinds of things secret and I'm in another state. So how do they know that I have a breathalyzer on my car to start my car? Then the breathalyzer that was put on my Mini Cooper messed up the computer in my Mini Cooper. And that was a $3,500 fix. Oh. I mean, it was the most expensive, stupid night of my life, but I tell you, but I continued to drink cause I was arrested in March. Right. <sighs> I didn't start. I didn't stop drinking until November. I was a good alcoholic man. I waited because you would call a telephone number at night to see if you had to go do a uh, like a drug test because you're on probation, right? Because you're awful. And um, if I would get called in, I would buy liquor on my way, do the drug test, and the just in case they did a breathalyzer, and then I would leave and drink. And then I knew it would be two or three more days before I could I was going to be called up again. Man, it was messed up. Wow. But yeah, sorry, sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> but yes, no. so I, traded, I traded my food addiction for alcohol addiction, oh, and it was yeah. only enhanced due to my uh, my malabsorption or the absorption of alcohol into your system and through your liver. To answer your question, so did uh, they? Did they? Have your doctors ever checked to see what kind of damage that may have done? So um, I. Yes. So at the very beginning, I, well, first of all, I didn't have insurance. So I didn't know. Um, I just knew that I was not well. Um, and, so, but I wasn't going to the doctor, but I av avoided, I did everything I could when I got sober to, to reverse fatty liver disease. Right. So I just went and had all of my lab works done a month ago and I have zero damage from all of that. And wow, in fact, awesome. In fact, I, all my lab work, even with, so with bariatric weight loss surgery, there is a chance that you do have what's called malabsorption or long-term uh, where you don't absorb nutrients, your cholesterol yeah. is going to be screwed up. You have to get your, your vitamins and nutrients from food specifically, but you do have to supplement it with calcium citrate, a multivitamin, an iron. And so you just, you do have to take those all the time. And um, so the only thing I'm low on is iron. And that's something that my family is all low on. So uh, I'm a miracle and I do consider myself blessed. So it is a pretty amazing story to go through all that yeah, and to watch um, who you are now on TikTok and what you're doing for other people is, is pretty amazing. Thank you. I, um, so in alcoholism recovery, there is a thing where you try to help another addict, right? And um, as a Christian, you want to help the next person, right? Just be better person, you know, and I'm very, my mother was a nurse. My father was in sales. 
got the best of both worlds. So I'm a nature nurturer, right? And uh, mm. when I, I never want anyone to be hurt or feel uneducated or unwanted or not supported. And I totally want to be that. I, I was never a cheerleader in high school, obviously. And so now I'm delighted to be a cheerleader for an entire community. And I will educate people about this surgery and alcoholism. Um, I will never judge anybody ever. Um, because I don't like that feeling. It was miserable. Part of the reason I had such an easy addiction to food and an easy addiction to alcoholism because I felt so much shame for the way I grew up in poverty and what happened to me as a child and the abandonment issues I had regarding my father. And so um, <laughs> to feel accepted, um, does the once I felt accepted, it it really changed my entire world. And so I want everybody to feel that, um, you know, it's and kind of a high at this point. Losing weight for you. Is that when you felt accepted? No. When was when it I, that you felt it, accepted? When I started doing the next right thing. So you can't have self-esteem until you start doing esteemable things. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I'm waking up every morning and I'm doing everything that I can to help my mother out since my siblings are not able to, since I can do these coffee times with Tara. In fact, I would say that I'm still on that path to finding full self-acceptance and self-love. It's a consistent journey. And, yeah. you know, just like with any path, it gets rocky. There are days I don't want to get out of this bed. There are days right. the only reason I get out of the bed is because I need to take my dog to take a shit. But that's <laughs> the itty bitty shitty committee. Right. We, we yeah. all have it. It's a committee that sits in our head at all times. Got to be strong enough for yourself to go. Fuck you. Like, you don't get to rule my life. I know that if I do this next mm -hmm. assemble thing, because I'm an attention whore, I don't know if y'all can tell. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if I do the next right thing and I am the best version of me, then people are going to give me the positive feedback that I want. Therefore, filling my God shaped hole. And it's a round robin of positivity. You love that she says round shaped hole. I, I, of course you do. Yes. Well, so one of the things I picked up on was um, you called it, the, you know, the addictive being addicted to more. But the other side of that coin is the fear of scarcity, right? Correct. It's the fear of not enough and, you know, not having the next thing to continue to you know, and I, I think for you, you've articulated very clearly that came from a lot of things that happened in your childhood, mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah, absolutely. Not having, you know, a, a steady food supply of healthy foods or foods at all forever, you know, for the family and then mm -hmm. just in wealth and just things that make you feel accepted as a child, you know, mm -hmm. and, and like you have enough. Yeah, it was, um, you know, my father wanted to pay for his race car, you know, career more than his five children. So we lived on goober grape and stale crackers from the gas station, right? So uh, beans and sausage for five kids. Um, when my parents divorced in 84, he was a salesman, so he had no real income. So my mother raised five children on $250 a month spousal support while working sometimes two jobs as a nurse. Um, my sister ended up getting her driver's license at 14 just so we could go to and from school because, you know, we lived just close enough that we couldn't ride the bus. Uh, but mom had us in the very best of school systems. So we had this high, you know, education in Tyler, Texas. And y'all need to Google that shit because that's a <laughs> stop. <laughs> but, um, you know, but my so my father uh, was a polio survivor. So he lost his deltoid muscle and he was in the iron lung in 1955 for, for five years. And he didn't become oh, a millionaire. Wow. Look, my story, I should write a damn book. But so my you father really ended up, <laughs> my father became a uh, timeshare salesman and he uh, continued to file under small business. So um, he ended up going to Canada for 15 years to avoid tax evasion. And uh, eventually he was able to come back to the States and move to Georgia. And that's where he uh, ended up passing away. My mother was the daughter of the NCR cash registers. Are y'all familiar? It's a major cash register company that made all the cash registers in the world. And uh, my grandfather was the president, my mom's father. And uh, so, but my mother gra didn't graduate high school until uh, she was 20 years old um, because she Later, not until she was after in her 40s, did she find out that she has uh, 
dyslexia and dysgraphia. So she sees letters and numbers backwards, but she put herself through nursing school, raised five kids with this learning disability. She has since, you know, excelled, bless her PPIC, and she has COPD. She is, she is slowly dying um, and I'm taking care of her, but you know, my oldest sister works for Chick-fil-A corporate. They're doing very, very well. Uh, my oldest brother took the MCAT twice, decided not to be a doctor, but was questioning theology. So he now has his master's in theology. He's now the COO of the company that I work for. So I'm his executive assistant. And then uh, my middle sister is a nurse anesthetist. Um, brilliant. Um, but unfortunately, she too had bariatric surgery. She too is an alcoholic, although she had alcoholic tendencies prior to surgery. Uh, from high school, she was drinking. And um, she has now lost her nursing license, lost the uh, Oh, no. And her internet. Yeah. She needs to write a book for real. Mm -hmm. For real, for real. I am like fascinated. Like old Southern money. What is? What else could be my more favorite subject? You know how I feel about these things. Let's try this one more time. So, so my sister is has lost her nursing license, and she's currently battling alcoholism. And our baby brother got his GED, and now he's our number one sales guy, and he's a millionaire. And so we came from nothing, and all in our own little ways have have made our ways. But. Um, but you do, you take all of those little stories, my father being in the, you know, scared to death to, of doctors that he probably, what we think happened with my dad, um, we think that he was dying and he was scared to death to die or to go to doctors. So he bought his dream car, uh, an MG. He got it. He picked it up in Savannah, Georgia. And 48 hours later, um, he flipped it and died. And so we think he actually committed suicide. So, but we can't prove it. But it was like he was the, the last things he did that he was like he was closing his story and uh, he could never be a, a famous race car driver because of the no deltoid muscle. So he made enough money so he could have his own car on the Atlanta Motor Speedway and fund a racing team. But he could never actually professionally drive. And that really broke his heart. So that is crazy. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's a lot. I'm so sorry. No, don't be. No, that's I like the whole point it. of this. You know what's, what I mean? Is to come and like get to know people and, and to really find out like how we ended yeah. up this way. My dad stopped racing yeah, exactly. cars because he was hit by a drunk driver. See? Wow. At like three in the morning showed up home at like three in the morning. My mom was like, where the F have you been? And he like had this blood dripping down his face and he had been hit by a drunk driver. Wow. wow. And never raced cars again. It's coming heartbreaking. Home, my father was a dirt track racer. Like, he wasn't very good at it, though, I'm assuming, because where he didn't win. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still, to this day, I could smell burning rubber, or I can walk into a car garage, and that euphoric smell of my dad working on a car is just, it's pungent, and it brings you back, and um, I... I've been given the gift of uh, being able to block out the bad for the most part or go, oh, I understand. Now I understand why my mother doesn't show affection or love. Well, it was because X, Y, and Z. And I always play the tape. I rewind the tape as how is she the way she is? And what have I adopted? Yeah. And how can I change the world? And it is right. a every single day therapy session that's going on in here. So. I feel that. So. You're, you're a much more compassionate person than I am because I had to like cut the cord and like get rid of her because otherwise, you know, like if I were you, I'd be over there with the pillow just like, how's this feel right there? Hmm? Well, my siblings, my, my siblings thankfully um, respect what I do and that I can be. And I, I look at it like this. This is Lord's. I used to beg to be a mother. I used to be a, beg to be a wife. But God knew that. I needed to be single with no children to take care of this, my mother at this time in her life. But my siblings who all are doing very, very well for themselves said, whatever inheritance that it is, because you're doing it, you're going to get it. And I'm like, okay, I'm in it for the money, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> That's my girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
So I'm, I can I can do that. Do you need me to wash you? We'll go take a bath. Um, but no, I and I'm happy to do it. I really have have no complaints. And again, I, I at one point I did want to be a nurse, and I'm happy. And I do not put up with the bullshit. But I'm delighted okay. to go to the grocery store every single day. Um, but my siblings couldn't do that. They're not at a place in their lives. They have their own kids and grandkids, and they live in Georgia. And my mother. I'm it's easy and I get paid to work for my brothers, you know, like how great yeah. is that? That's Five cool. years ago when I was a drunken stupor, there is no way they would have put my name on that table to say Tara is good enough to work in a multi-million dollar company. Right. There's 83 employees, but we do very, we have clients like Amazon, Yahoo, Facebook, etc. And uh they're like, we're putting her name on the line and we want to her to exceed. And then, you know, did I get a raise this year? No, but my baby brother is fixing to pay for me a $12,000 tummy tuck, bitches. I'm like, that is some fringe benefits that you don't get at Amazon. <laughs> That's right, honey. That's right. Who doesn't there, have a little tummy actually, tuck? There was actually one of the posts I, I wanted to comment on that, um, where it, I forget the, the other woman that you did like the side by side convert thing with, where she was talking about insurance really should cover that part of the surgery the yes. aftercare because I mean it's unconscionable that it's not covered honestly it is so I have as much as I love the medical system I hate insurance and that's what it is doctors would absolutely say this is absolutely necessary to have this this skin removed post bariatric weight loss surgery. Should you do it in the first two years? Absolutely not. Have you healed your relationship with food? You know, there's a lot of, of background that has to be done. I mean, I'm 14 years post-op, right? I had my surgery in 2008 and I'm just now at the point where I feel mentally strong enough that I'm not going to regain the weight because that fear is there every single oh, day. Yeah. Every, like if I, like I had a Dr. Pepper today, it was delicious, but I can't tell you last time I had a Dr. Pepper and it's not because I have an eating disorder. It's because a, the carbonation is going to make me sick. The sugar, is it really worth it? I mean, it tastes delicious, but really I can drink three glasses of water and eat, you know, it's, it's all about compromise and moderation, but yes, I, it is unconscionable that it is not covered, especially, and I have a mild uh, case of skin. I have a friend named Kayla. Her skin literally hangs to six inches above her knee. Wow. And that's how her skin is mine. I just can't see my cooter. Like, I just want to see my cooter. <laughs> yes! Oh my God, I love it. You know, I like watch these TikToks and these bitches, they're sitting there and they can see their belly buttons. I've never, without me raising my shit, I ain't seeing my belly buttons. Stop. So it's, it's, <laughs> Girl, I'm telling you, when I the last hurrah, you know, when I was doing my last Kirsty Alley act, I was dancing in the mirror and I lost like 100 pounds in two months and my ass cheeks were hitting the back of my kneecaps. You know what I'm saying? Or the back it's of like my ready knees. To go. They were just two saggy, like fried eggs just hanging down the back of my ass. It was <laughs> terrible. It it's was awful. Yeah, and, then, and, and, and plastic surgery is very much like tattoos. You get one done, you need another. So I... Um, so at my largest, I was a size 22, 24. I was 257 pounds and my breasts were 52 F. Yes, they were fabulous. Right. So I didn't know I was fat because I looked down and I saw a great rack. Right. I'm like, these bitches are fabulous. Meanwhile, everybody looking around me was like, this bitch is nine months pregnant. Right. So I got my boobs done because I went from a 52 F down to a 36 D and it was all skin. So I did get my breast reduction augmentation done in 2012, but I was like, mm, never, I'm, you know, it's going to cost me 12 to $18,000 for a tummy tuck. And it was never Five something eggs. I could afford. And then, um, it, you know, I, I just resolved the fact that I was never going to get this done because you go and you get these quotes and they're like, oh yes, but you need to, you need to put a thousand dollars down non-refundable fee. You have to schedule within the next six to eight weeks. You have a two to four week recovery. You have to put you. And it's like the, the price gets higher and higher. And when you have someone who just lives on $40,000 a year to even come up with $12,000 is a, yeah. like, that's astounding money. And I, and I'm a single person. So people who have husband children and yeah. other bills like 
it's astounding to me. And, and so then you're going to go back to the psychology of, well, I have all this extra skin. I'm never going to get rid of it. And then you become depressed and then you start leaning on eating again. And it's just, I was a much more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's all like, it's a vicious cycle. Once you drop all the weight and then you have all this floaty skin just hanging around all over the place. It's horrific. And it's, it's also, yeah. it's also not a choice for a lot of people because like right. in my situation, I could never be hospitalized for Craig. I mean, who would take care right. of Craig? Nobody. Right. Would. Right. Well, that's the same thing for me, right? Like yeah, I'm like, like well, if I want to, right, exactly. That was the, I was supposed to have surgery on my elbow and who, who the hell is going to watch these kids? So if I wanted to yeah. even just go have weight loss surgery, I'm like, who's going to watch the kids? When I you had know, my like the, it's a very difficult, um, thing to let alone with then to come up with the money to go have the the skin removal uh done you know what i mean because my skin's been like stretch armstrong Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's been stretched and pulled and tugged and yanked and all different i mean my poor face i mean if i lose i can't wait to see what happens this time it's gonna look like rapella when i had my shoulder surgery the reconstruction and my bicep reconstructed we had to hire friends to take care of Craig. Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. And yeah, who's got money for all that? You know, uh, yeah, we, did, we, did not, yeah, I, we had we had an, another ALS family whose their ALS patient died, and they started a fund. My husband has ALS, Tara. If you just okay, no, um, and they gave us a grant, and that's the only reason we were able to pay for somebody else to care for Craig, so I could have surgery, mm-hmm. and he could have twenty four seven care, and I could actually recuperate. Right. At all. Because it's impossible. It's yeah. yeah. But and then one of the other things I thought I found interesting and insightful or from questions that you got on TikTok Tara were um the other expenses that people don't think of in advance of the surgery. So the two questions or two things I wanted you to talk about. One is mm-hmm. the you know, the money the money you're not thinking in advance you're gonna have to save to have available for things that are gonna change in your life. And then the right. other piece of it is the before, during and after ca- uh, therapy care. Correct. So, so what a lot of people, oh, so we get what's called hyperfixated. We romanticize the surgery. When this surgery happens, I'm going to be thin and beautiful. What you're not going, you're not thinking about is I'm going to lose two dress sizes in a week. And so the wardrobe that you have that you've been, you maybe your husband's t-shirt and your yoga pants are not going to fit you in three months. And then what fits you? And so you go to Walmart, you go to Target, you go to Ross, you learn to budget shop. You haven't learned to, sh- to shop for your body yet because it's ever changing. Um, and, you know, you do become frugal, um, but there, there is an entire wardrobe. You lose, I lost a shoe size and a half in eight months. Wow. Because yeah, you're thank feet. you. You're Everybody feet. thinks I'm talking shit when I say when I no. lost a ton of weight, when I lost like 150 pounds, Mm-hmm. I went down a size yeah. and a half and, sh- and everybody thought I was nuts because I went down to a size 10. From a you 12. have to buy all new underwear. Your yeah. socks are stretched out. You don't realize those things. And that's not something they talk about in pre-op, right? They're like, oh, you're going to, you know. So, yes, you're going to have to lose all of that weight. And I'm sorry, what was the second uh, expense paid? And then the. Oh, uh, the before, during, after therapy. And yes. So what. When you do, if your insurance covers your weight loss surgery, they require you have one psych eval to make sure that you're not crazy. And you have to have two food therapy sessions. Am I going out again? Uh, um, it's Jeffrey. Okay. So Fine. you're, you're going to go uh, just, you know, so why do you think you have a food? And it's literally insurance only That's requires it. it twice. That's it. That's and crazy. there are some insurance companies now that don't even that and they tell wow. you you need to heal your relationship with food but they don't because they themselves have never suffered with the addiction of more like Kristen you were talking about you know we become you know obsessed with food that when that is taken away from you you have to mourn like you do a relationship you no longer can rely on food it's a it's a bad breakup is what it is and yeah. um and so here you are, and 
if you don't follow through with therapy and pay for it out of pocket, then you're not, you're not doing therapy. And then here's the other thing. There's an entire mental mind fuck. And I apologize for that using that language, but that's what it is because then you're like, Oh, well, I've had the surgery and I'm fine. And then you stop putting yourself forward and you're no longer going to those therapy sessions because you've got this figured out. You know that you're eating 60 grams of protein and then your obsession may be the gym, your obsession. And then you put your, kids back and then your husband is feeling neglected because now you're this thin beautiful your person right uh per society and then you're like he thinks oh well now she's thin and beautiful she's not going to love me anymore there's that threat of she's going to cheat 80 percent of weight loss patients who are married divorce within the first five years mm-hmm. that's not thought about so if you're not seeking couples therapy marriage therapy individual therapy healing relationship with food why did you why do you obsess about food that's how i found out i had the disease of more um and you're not following up with that that therapy then it can obsess and then it's okay to put yourself back on the back burner and um I forget I'm doing that. And you lose yourself again. It's like when a mother loses herself because her kids are in cheer, her kids are in football. She loses herself and her identity. You lose that with, with bariatric weight loss surgery. It's, it's, it's a bad relationship as well. It can be without the help of a therapist. And probably not just any therapist, but somebody actually qualified to talk about the topic and who can dig deeper and understand the links to trauma and the importance of healing traumas and the fact that they're just going to manifest themselves in some other way, like that is correct. addiction, right? I mean, it's so, just, if, if you're wired for addiction, it might, we all are, but if you're, if you're not healing the trauma, you're going to find another way to numb or another way to, you know, absolutely go through that. And if you're not given the tools to play the tape forward, right? We have this innate ability to forget the bad things because we obsess about, oh, well, it's okay. You know, or if I'm going to Chick-fil-A today, I'm going to order the egg grilled nug- egg grilled nugget and the kale salad. But tomorrow it was like, well, I had the kale salad yesterday. So I'm going to go only going to have like three or four of my son's uh, French fries. Well, you need to be able to play that off of somebody and go, well, why did I choose the French fries when I knew it was the worst option for me? I like the kale salad. Why didn't I choose that, that kale salad? And, you know, it is this, it's exhausting, but it can also ease an addiction itself. I feel like I have an addiction to my weight loss surgery and education to others, which to me is not a bad and a bad thing because people are learning because this is such a taboo subject or not talked about or people feel shame. I've had people who had surgery 19, 20 years ago will come into my DMs and be like, I've never told anybody I had weight loss surgery. I told them I did it with diet and exercise. I'm like, what a shitty life. Yeah, You have to live in shame for That's something that bettered your life 19 years ago. That's yeah. got to suck, dude. And I think I think psych- psychology and our own is such a huge part of what we're all going through, and it's mm-hmm. and and for so many, it's it's taboo. Mm-hmm. You know, men find it very difficult and struggle with going to seek therapy because mm-hmm. you know they need to be masculine and they need to be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'll, I'll actually argue that I always had trouble getting myself to go to therapy because it wasn't a question of being masculine or being tough, but that persona, no, that persona is always just so pervasive among men that you don't learn how to talk about your feelings. Like you don't learn how to really even understand like how you feel. All you know is like, wow, I'm feeling anxious right now. I don't know what that's about. And then you just push it to the side because nobody else, you know, you don't see anybody modeling like a healthy conversation about it. Like Mm -hmm. you you just don't know how to do it. It just sits there. Well, and I think also women subconsciously model that to model that as well. They want the loving, supporting, compassionate husband. But at the same time, Sometimes we project that we don't want to see what's perceived by others as weakness. And it's not weakness. It's Mm, the exact opposite. But we get stuck in these entrenched old paradigms and these old models of behavior that just don't fit who we are. And they don't serve us. And then it it leads to those, you know, a loop of those issues of, you know, trauma and and addiction. And it just 
the spiral continues from there, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's, we do have a mental health crisis mm-hmm. in this country for sure. You know, and I and I love the fact that you've said over and over, you're not judging anyone else's story, but you found a way to take your experience, your journey and continue to support and educate others um, yeah. on their path. And I think that's really the most any of us could do, you know, the, those of us that right, want right. to help others. Right. Is to share your experience so that hopefully in some way you can just one person, one if person, one, connection. Yep. And if you find your thing that you're passionate about and imagine what this and this is what i tell people imagine what this world would be if we gave positivity and encouragement to anybody about anything right Right. it could be it could be you're in theater i know nothing about theater but i'm going to come sit on the front row to watch you perform because i'm here to support you if we just had support it would be tremendous but you know there's so many societal boxes that we put each other in um you know, whatever crown you wear. Um, and I say crown and not hat because I believe we're all royalty, right? Like, I feel like I'm a fucking queen. Um, and I want you to be a queen and I want you to be a queen, right? Like, um, oh, honey, I'm a queen. Um, but you know, I, it is important to support each other. And I think if we can all live our life out loud and proud and be who we are without shame or judgment, and I'm not going to change the world. I'm not, but if I can change, if my TikTok, one stupid TikTok, and it could be the side by side about this is what my body really looks like. It could be, you know what, you're going to be shopping at TJ Maxx and Ross for the first two years until you hit your goal weight. And I helped one person who was like, ah, uh, you know, I had one person was like, I would love to have weight loss surgery, but I'm so afraid of the skin. And I'm like, bitch, I've been tucking it in for 14 years. You're <laughs> saving your life. You are literally, and I call my, my followers and I don't want to say followers. That seems really weird. Um, but I, the people who, who do follow my journey, bariatric heroes. And I say that for a very specific reason is because bariatric is obviously our abdominal, our guts, right? And a hero, you have made the choice. You have made the choice to go in and fight for your life and save your life. And if someone goes in and saves someone's life, they're a hero, right? Firefighter, EMT, whatever. So you are a hero saving your own life. And if you can pay it forward and you can help the next bariatric patient or the next alcoholic, then you're a hero. And that's you know, and I think we all want that notoriety, right? I think we we all are selfish human beings and want that. Um, and you know, maybe not in a in a grander way. I'm not going to get you know a star on the Hollywood fame, but you know, if you can go, gosh, you know, I really helped someone today in that respect. Then I think that's important. Absolutely. Thank you. I've done some work <laughs> up here. Well, that's that's what it's all about, though. I mean, yeah. for everybody, it really is. It's about taking care of your, you know, taking care of your your attic up there, and you know. Yeah. But it astounds me. Process that doesn't end, right? No, no. It's, I mean, it, and it, it's literally minute by minute, and uh, it's exhausting sometimes, but it's exhilarating others. Um, but I'm astounded being on TikTok in this platform for I only started this in June. So I'm, I'm still somewhat new to this entire TikTok platform. But the amount of people who feel it okay to be so derogatory via comments and judgments behind their screen, you the know, keyboard warriors, keyboard warriors. literally makes my little tiny poor East Texan heart break. And there are days that I want to come out and just cuss you up once I stop. But then I'm like, what kind of human being is that? Do they have children? Are they passing that on? Is this the snowball effect that we're going to get? So if they're continuing on that, all I can do is do the exact opposite and do my my job. You have to learn to love... uh... The first go around, you know, we started this with audio only with the Power Rangers and stuff like 11 years ago. And I had to learn, I got a lot of hate, right? Because people tuned in for the Power Ranger chick, the kid from Roseanne and the girl from all that. They didn't care about the little gay dude from New York. So I got a lot (laughs) of hate from people. And I just, I really learned to 
love it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of my favorite thing now. I really like if someone's like, oh, that douchebag, like on Reddit, like, they'll like, they're like, oh, he was a douchebag then, he's still a douchebag now. And I just went, I'm like, oh, thank you so much, XOXOXO. XO, XO. You know what I mean? Like, I'm always like, have First a great said, day. Bless yeah. your heart. Bless yeah. your heart, darling. I, I just love to, like, oh, I'm sorry your wife doesn't love you. I hope your day gets better. You know, just a little something. Are days where I will respond to a hater in the most condescending southern ghost suck a dick way. Like I absolutely will the and straw. make no apologies. The straw. Oh, the straw. <laughs> but that's one of them. There was so another sweet. one who was there was another one who was well, the one that got me all my followers again was I had made a post about my mother and how she is and washes her baggies and has 30 bottles of two liter sprite and she's insane. God love her. I love her. And so someone was like, oh, we need to make that a series or whatever. And so many people related to raising an elderly parent, right? And so then someone came on to me with a derogatory statement and said, your children one day are going to treat you the same way and blah, blah, blah. Like I was being awful to my mother. And I had already shared the talk talk with my mother. She found it hilarious. Carol Jean Chronicles, it is what it is. And, and so I'm like, darling, this... And I was like, bless your heart. I said, my mother found it hilarious, but I appreciate it. And I was like, and by the way, I've had five miscarriages and I'm barren. So I'm never going to be able to have children. And I said, and my mother would be, would not like it if I told you to go fuck yourself. Uh, so I won't do that. <laughs> and my mama taught me right. My, my mama raised me better. And I'm telling you, and this is no joke. I went from 3,500 followers to 70,000 followers in two days. That's how I found you was that TikTok was that because, because they couldn't have kids. And it was, that's exactly how I found you. It was like, mm -hmm. yeah, because that's, I mean, just you, your judgment of me, you know, nothing about me, you piece of shit. And I'm here every day with my mother. Anyway, you need some comedic relief when you're dealing with her. And so anyway, so it is what it is. And so that ex accelerated. And then I did car, you know, and, it is like I'm 300 people away from a hundred thousand. And I keep expecting to open up TikTok and there'd be like a purge, you know, like to go from 99,000 down to nothing. And it's down not four people. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, y'all bitches are sticking around. I must not be on your, you know, but, um, there have been a couple of times where I've gotten pushback. Like you don't need to do like, I really like you, but whenever you tell somebody, you know, like this one person was like addicts have no you know place on this earth and i gave them I, their screenshot their thing and I, I was like here's your 15 seconds so you didn't even see me you just saw their addict thing there was one lady who said uh my mother had weight loss surgery and she's an absolutely awful human being we don't like being around her all she talks about is her weight loss surgery and you know we make bets on all this stuff and i'm like your mother needs a divorce attorney and take you out of the will. Good for her that y'all don't talk to her because y'all are awful human beings. And you will get people who support the way I deliver that in a Southern way. And there are people who are like, you're just so condescending and rude. And I'm like, you know what? But I can't, I can't call that person up and go, why are you being such an asshole? Mm -hmm. So I do bring those negative comments. I had one today where someone was very derogatory to one of my followers, Amy, who was like, I've lost 60 pounds the easy way. This is a pity party video. You don't need to have surgery or whatever. So I went on and I'm like, good for you for losing 60 pounds. But you know, if you've lost 60 pounds, how derogatory that is to her. She has comorbidities and she's already an uphill battle. And I, you know, so what happens is, is I make those comments, other people see it and then get educated with why we have bariatric surgery. I have three minutes to try to be a lawyer, uh, a defense lawyer for bariatric What's surgery. What's the easy way to lose 60 pounds? She's doing cocaine the next level. I was going to say, on? because yeah, I really. just, it's taken me since February to lose 30, and I bust my butt every single day. Every day. Doing it. I mean, because I, I don't have the ability to have a bariatric surgery of yes because I, I cannot be away from Craig. So it's it's not an ability that I have. And people don't take that into consideration either. They Life don't, circumstances. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, 
a little bit delicious things. Yum. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's things in, their, in people's lives that they don't take. So, yeah, I would love to know what the easy way is 60 pounds. Wouldn't that be is. great? And then people are like, well, okay, if you can do life. it, again, cocaine and X Life's nice. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> The hemorrhoids alone would be awful. Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what I got accused of, you know, because that was you, always my There's enough show. MLMs out there that sell like ketones and diet. Oh, this is what keeps me from having blah, snacks blah, at night. It's my fiberwise from my favorite wellness online company. And if you like to get your products online, yes, you can send me a message. I'll help you from keeping you healthy. Without, they have great snacks too that have fiber and will help you help stay healthy. Just I'm reach dead. Out. Dead. We are dead. not selling. We are not selling. Is that like okay? And then, if you're looking in the market for a nice, wonderful diffuser for your essential <laughs> oils, you can That's also reach out to me, and I can help you That's with a your. Bong. It looks bong. like a bong, dude. That's definitely a bong. He's got a bong, right? <laughs> it tastes like thieves. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You made a mistake. Oh, horrible, horrible. That was an opportunity to learn. Oh, not good. Shit. What, one of your kids didn't pee in there again, did they? Uh, no, that's the bedroom uh, one. That's the, This is the one in the kitchen. Oh, is it? See? That I don't know what look. last oil blend I had in there, but... Young yeah. living, bad, bad, bad. Shame on you. It don't mm -mm. taste like it smells. Oh, girl, it's all the way in the back of my throat and my hangy ball. That's what she said. I was oh, say, so I guess, well, I think it's we're over time. We gotta go. And I got. I'm so proud of her for that. I'm so. <laughs> I'm multi talented. Hit the button, Jeffrey. Hit the button. <laughs> He's trying not to die. Oh my. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.